Namely, I have an acorn in my hand. If you've been wondering, what is that? It looks weird because it's from the South, Texas. It's a king oak, I believe. They have big oaks and big deer down there. And uh, this oak is, well, we're celebrating the Oaks Project that is happening right now. We're in the middle of 40 days of prayer, and we are looking at this verse in Isaiah chapter 61, which says this, they will be called Oaks of Righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So we have been talking about sowing acorns, sowing seeds into the emerging generation and our community through the building of a multi-purpose building back there and also a park where the community can gather during the week and we can have gospel conversations as we do life together. These seeds, I truly believe, will grow up to become something way greater than we can ever imagine. I, I think that our emerging generation, God has a plan for their lives that will far surpass our expectations, hopes, and dreams. That's what he does. He takes little seeds and he makes them into beautiful oak trees. And so we as a church family right now are being challenged with uh, praying what God would have us commit to giving over a two-year period. Maybe you've done this before in another church. Maybe this is the first time that you're, that you're uh, challenged to do this. Uh, I want to encourage you to commit to continue to pray. And then come December 10th, we will have an opportunity to write a number on a piece of paper on a commitment card and drop it off here at the altar before the Lord. And then we will follow up and say, hey, remember you committed and uh, do that piece with love and kindness. And again, I just can't wait to see what we as a church come up with. We have talked about these plans for a few weeks. Five million dollar budget is what we're shooting for. Whatever you come up with, that will decide the scope of this project. And again, I am. I just can't wait to see what God is brewing in each of us as we pray. Last week, we talked about sowing into our family. And uh, this morning, I want to take a pause before we look at sowing into the church next Sunday, because we're talking about a big number. Five million is a big number, but there are a lot of people that call Cypress Street Church home. And I think that we can do it. I, I really do. I believe that God, if, if we press in and ask him, he will share with us individually and we'll be able to come up with even more. Uh, I, I have faith that he will do that. And so I want to talk about finances. Faith and finances seem to be allergic to each other when we talk about it in public. When people talk about money at church, we get funny about money and we get all squirmish and uncomfortable. And you may be visiting and you're like, oh, really this week? We don't talk about finances all the time, but here's the deal. Over 1,200 verses in the Bible speak to how we handle money and finances. It's important to God and it should be important to us, especially when Jesus says that what or how we handle our finances actually reveals what's in our hearts. So this morning, what I want us to do is first take a deep breath and exhale and relax because God has more for us. God wants more for us that he wants from us. If you don't hear anything, hear that. We're going to open up the scriptures. We're going to read 
some symptoms of what it looks like to follow money and what that makes us feel like. And then we'll look at some antidotes to that, some symptoms of how when we follow God and we're devoted to his way of handling our finances, the abundance that that brings you and me. But first, a joke here, Taylor. I'm going to send you this acorn. I'm done with it. Good catch. A dad joke. I need a preface. It's a dad joke. So a man asked God who exists outside of time, oh God, how long is a billion years for you? And God said, man, a billion years for me is a second. And said, wow, God, that is amazing. God, Oh, you own everything. How much is a billion dollars to you? Oh, man, a billion dollars is like a dollar. And so man asked God, can I have a million dollars, God? And God replied, give me a second. I know. It was a dad joke. I prefaced it with it was a dad joke. He has a lot to say about money. Matthew 6 is where we're going to be. If you have your Bibles turned there. We're reading from the best sermon ever given by Jesus, in my opinion, the Sermon on the Mount. In it, he talks a, a ton about money, possessions, anxieties, all these things that we deal with this side of heaven. And in chapter 6, starting in verse 19, Jesus tells us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But... Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, I have searched the commentaries and I find no evidence that there were storage, uh, uh, you know, businesses back then. But I think that translation says, will your investments, will what you are sowing into, will that show up in heaven? Well, is that part of the purposes of God for your life? Or is it going to end up in a storage unit that your grandchildren are either going to sell or light a match and just burn? Some of that stuff will not travel with us. You've probably heard the term or the, the saying that goes, you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. What Jesus is telling us is store up your treasures, invest in the things that are eternal versus the things that are temporary. Why? Because verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How we handle our finances reveals the condition of our heart. It's interesting to me that it doesn't say the opposite. It doesn't say wherever your motives are, wherever your heart is, there your treasures will follow because He's trying to keep us accountable. He's keeping us honest. Jesus is. And he's saying, hey, walk the walk. Invest in the things of God and watch your heart continue to cultivate this generosity that we will talk about here soon. In verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. He hits us with a dichotomy in verse 24. And this is where we're going to hang this morning. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God 
and money. We have to choose. And again, I believe that everybody in this room, we want to follow God with our money. I think one of the reasons why we don't is we just don't know how. That's what I want to talk about this morning. How do we do that? How do we serve God with our money? This word money actually translates to the word mammon, which represents both money and all the money can bring us. Stuff, all the stuff that money can buy. Either we are following the great American dream for the bigger house, the nicer car, going up the ladder, or we are following God. Now, when we follow God, there is abundance. When we follow money, mammon, there is a scarcity mindset. This idea that if we don't save, if we don't hoard, there will never be enough. Some of us grew up with parents that didn't have much. And so we may have a scarcity mindset from that, depending on what your faith background is. Others of us had parents that loved us, provided everything that we needed, and, and we had this safety implanted in us. And so now we know that there will always be enough. And Jesus is saying in verse 25 through verse 33, which I won't read, but he's saying, hey, don't be anxious about what you will wear, what you will eat, because you have a father in heaven that loves you, that wants to provide for you. He loves the lilies in the field, in the birds, in the sky, but that doesn't even compare to how much he loves you and me. And if he takes care of them, he will take care of us. Amen, somebody. So that is the father that we have in heaven when we trust him, when we are devoted to him. We have an abundance mindset. When we are devoted to money and the great American dream, we have a scarcity mindset. Jesus came to give us abundance. That's John 10, 10 says the thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I didn't know that the devil was also dubbed Black Friday because that's what Black Friday does. It kills, it steals, and it destroys family units and all financial planning just goes out the window in one week as we're dealing with the deals and like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know I wanted that, but look at that deal and I'm gonna buy that and oh, I'm just gonna go ahead and this because you never know. I may need it for my kids two years from now and the prices will never be this good and I better beat this person for this because uh, stock is going out and then we throw elbows. Maybe you are still doing that at Walmart and at Target and all those places, but y'all, we see the worst of humanity less than six hours after we finish our pie and our third plate of Thanksgiving dinner. Kill, steal, and destroy. That is the enemy. But what does John 10, 10 say? I came that you and me may have life and have it abundantly. More than we can ever ask for. I want that. What about you? Let's look at these symptoms that come with following money, and let's compare them with the antidote of what happens when we devote our life and our checkbook to God. The first thing is this. When we devote our lives to following mammon, to following stuff and money, it will never be enough. It will never satisfy. And so what will happen is we start complaining. 
We start griping about the thing that we wanted we do not yet have. We start comparing to other people and complaining, well, they don't, they, they shouldn't have done that and, and they shouldn't have bought that. And, but deep inside, we're thinking, man, I really want that and I'm just bitter that I can't afford that. And so, you know, we do this whole back and forth in our mind when really God wants to heal that. Before we get to the antidote, let's read 1 Timothy 6 through 9 and 10 because Paul hits the hammer in the head, those who want to get rich, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Can it be said any more clear? <laughs> Again, key word, that want to get rich. When we pursue those things, it is not a sin. It is not bad to have a lot of wealth. Quite the contrary. Jesus is blessed by many that have resources. They got it that when they devote, devote their lives and their resources to him, he's able to multiply and do way more with that than they, they could have ever done by themselves. We're talking about the effort and the pursuit of riches. Verse 10 says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's what complaining does. It traps us in this race to accumulate more. What is the antidote? The antidote is what we're celebrating this week. It's gratitude, is being thankful for what we do have, is identifying, making a list. You will have an aunt or a grandma or whoever is the designated person at the Thanksgiving table who will ask the question, what are you thankful for? I wonder if we can spend some time thinking about that before. And maybe, this is just free, Add to that, I'm thankful to God for something that he's doing in my life here recently. And you're able to sow seeds at the family table by sharing what God has invested in your heart, what he has given to you. Again, that's just uh, an idea. King David expressed gratitude. He was at the end of his life. He actually was becoming a grumpy old man. You can read that in, in the text. I won't get into that, but, but he expressed incredible Gratitude in First Chronicles 29, when he was raising funds to build a temple in Jerusalem, he uh, says this. I'm actually going to start in verse 12. First Chronicles 29, verse 12, he says, wealth and honor come from who? From God. God, you are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who were my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. So we get to give first. We, I'm sorry, we get to give second. First, we got to receive and give thanks because it all comes from him. The second symptom of Following and pursuing money is what happens on Black Friday, which is called coveting. It is the 10th commandment. Do not covet. What does covet mean? It means wanting what you do not yet have or will not have. It's, it's coveting what somebody else wants. And it's interesting because the other commandments, uh, eight, seven, and six, really are summed up into that one. When we lie, we're, we're stealing the truth. We're stealing the opportunity from someone to have 
the truth. So we're robbing somebody. If, if you commit sexual immorality, what you're doing is you're robbing someone. You're taking something that God gave to us to share with others consensually. You're taking it to fill your selfish ambition. It's the same thing when, when we are coveting, we are taking what is not ours, what we do not yet have. 196.7 million shoppers last year at Black Friday. Did you know that this started around the 60s and 70s and it was a name dubbed by the police officers in Philadelphia and bus drivers that were bussing people in to these department stores so that the shelves could be cleared so the Christmas stuff can be put on. And it was a Black Friday filled of rioting, filled with shoplifting. It was a bad day. It still is. Marketers just got a hold of it and, and overdubbed this, hey, if we clear everything off, then we'll actually be in the black. We'll have a surplus for our business. So let's go ahead and follow this trend. And now we have Black Friday. And even worse, we have Cyber Monday. And even worse, we have Black Friday specials in July. It is unbelievable. And it will not stop. That is the way of the world. How do we deal with coveting? In a world that, that it bombards us with, you got to have this, you got to have that. If you want to be anybody, you must have this. Here is how. It's closely tied to gratitude. It's called contentment. It's being at peace. Not only thanking God for what you have, but just being at peace with where you are right now. Not worrying about all of that, which you do not yet have. There was a sign outside of my door growing up. And I took it for granted until I studied what it means to be a biblical steward. And this is an old Mexican proverb. I'll say it first in Spanish and then maybe somebody can translate it in English. It says this, para ser feliz en la vida no es necesario tener todo lo que uno quiere, sino querer todo lo que uno tiene. Did you get that? Anybody want to translate that? To be happy in life, it's not necessary to have all that you want but to want all that you have. Contentment means really recognizing what you have and, and being okay, being at peace right there. Hebrews 13 further uh, ties in this connection between sexual immorality and coveting. In verse four, it says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So we read this last week when Sean was talking about holding marriage in honor and look what he says right after that. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Just be okay. The car that you have is okay. The house that you have is okay. In fact, if you're sitting in this room, you are very weird. I know you didn't come to hear that this morning, but I'm telling you, it's true. You are weird and weird is an acronym. Weird stands for Western. Weird stands for educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. We are the weirdest people that have ever walked the earth. The richest people that have ever walked the earth. Most of the world does not have one hundredth of what you and I have. And the issue is that our hearts are still not content. We still want more. We covet more. And I love what 
God says here through the author of Hebrews, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? See, we, we fall out of contentment when we take control, which is the next symptom of following after money. Adam and Eve did it. They didn't trust God. And so they took control. They took matters into their own and said, God, we're not going to trust you. We're going to eat from the one thing that you asked us not to eat from. And, and there was the demise of man. We follow suit today. We take control. And the problem is, and it's actually a, a gift, is it never really works out the way we want it to. We never get that peace. We never get that righteousness. We never get that joy that we think stuff will bring us. Praise be to God. Because only God can give us that abundant joy, life, peace, and righteousness. And so what, is, uh, uh, what, what happens when we take control? Well, Paul speaks to this. In the letter to the second or Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, he is admonishing them because what happens is they've taken control and, and they said, hey, we're going to work it out. We're going to work it out. And then they stopped working <laughs> and, and they just became entitled. And that's what happens is we work. We say, hey, I'm going to do this, God. I don't need you. I don't need to give because I'm just going to do my own thing. But, but then the cycle is maybe not in your generation, but the generation that comes after that becomes entitled. And then uh, we think we deserve X, Y, or Z. Man, Paul tells the Thessalonians this, and it's a word for us today. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Moms and dads, this is what we should say to our kids when they don't do their chores. Amen, somebody. All right, maybe not. Maybe this is what your parents told you, and you're like, I'm not saying that. I'm going to feed my kids, and then they're going to. Anyway, that's another message. Bottom line, you don't work. You don't eat. You got to work. And, and more, than, more than that, you got to give God your life. See, the remedy to control is trusting God. And what does he say? Man, work at whatever you do as unto the Lord. Work at it with all your heart. If you're running a race, run in such a way that you will win it. Work hard is a biblical principle. And trust God. Don't close. Oh, I've worked hard, so I've earned it. No, remember what David said. Lord, everything comes from you. So I'm going to trust you with what you have given to me? Are we controlling or are we trusting? See, uh, many of us are, are uncomfortable with this message because we're, we're going through a difficult financial season right now. And I want to be super sensitive because we're a church that wants to come alongside you. We're a church that wants to help you. See, we're sometimes really good at saying, hey, my hand hurts. I need to pray for healing or so-and-so just had an accident. Let's pray for them. But how often or how good are we at asking for accountability when it comes to our personal finances. It's something that we think we got to hold and we got to keep. What if we just trusted God? What if we told our community group leader or someone here this morning, hey, I'm, I am struggling and need somebody that, that has maybe done this before to help me. We as a church want, want to do that. And I want to just plug quickly on the guide, ccc.guide, 
The Oaks Project link, when you click that, there are some resources that you can use today, if that is you, that'll help you get out of maybe a, a debt situation. It, it, it won't solve it once. One message can't solve that, but it can start you on a journey towards freedom. And you may also say, hey, well, I don't, I don't want to give to this church because I don't trust the church. That is your prerogative. But we as a church want to be transparent and we want to be open and we want to be open to questions. So on that guide too, you will see our annual report from last year. Will you see that 10% of what was given to this church went outside of the walls for local and global missions? We want to be good stewards as we preach wise biblical stewardship. See, when we uh, follow mammon, follow the ways of the world, we end up doing this. We end up spending first. First thing we do, we like something, we want it, we press purchase, and, and then we maybe pay our bills so the, the land you know, owner won't come, and, 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 and then maybe we'll save some, and then boof, if we give at all, we give our leftovers. Biblical wisdom flips that completely. We give to God first because he first loved us. We give our best to him, and then we pay our bills to take care of our family, and then we save, and then lastly, we spend. This is a journey of wise biblical stewardship that God's asking us to participate in. The question is, do we trust him? See, this uh, gift of margins is something that goes way back. Margins are you, you, you plan ahead so that you can have margins to bless and to give. As a church family, we actually budget our next year's budget based on 90% of last year's giving. So for example, if it's a million dollars that we get one year, then the budget next year, our operational budget is 900,000. Why? Because we wanna leave margin for awesome opportunities that come up. That's how we bought the fields. That's how we've done a lot of the improvements. The margin principle, when we really uh, understand it and live it out personally is so powerful. And it goes back to Leviticus. Here's what God was telling the nation of Israel. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. That's the margins. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Why? Here's why. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord, your God. He is always looking out for the most vulnerable. He is always looking out. Not, not to say, hey, entitled person, here is what you want. No, no, no. Hey, here, vulnerable person, here is what you need. So that we, the church, can be this generous body that helps versus relying on the government to do that. What would it look like, Cypress Creek Church, for us as individuals and us collectively to continue to have those margins? We'll talk about that next Sunday. But uh, here's, here's the thing. We have uh, coveting. Let's look at our, our points right now. Complaining, coveting, controlling, trust. <laughs> if, if we continue moving down the devoted of money, we'll end up being cheap cheap in our lives. We don't have anything to live off of. And then definitely cheap in our giving. $359.44 is the average dollar amount that Americans spent last year on Black Friday. 
That's not a lot of money. I mean, it kind of is, but it's, it's not. But let me tell you, if every person that came to Cypress Creek Church were to give that money to the Oaks Project, oof, wow, what a difference that would make. We don't want to be cheap. We want to say, Lord, have your way with us. We're open to whatever you have. And in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, he gives us the antidote to being cheap. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. My favorite verse as a pastor, because it gets me off the hook, no pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need then you will always have everything you need and margins, plenty left over to share with others. Generosity is the last way, last symptom of following God. We, we receive freely and then we also give freely because y'all, we have an abundantly generous God. In his letter to the second, it's a second in, in his letter, Second Corinthians to the church in Corinth, Paul is raising funds so that he can help out a church in the, the church in Jerusalem. And he says this in verse nine of chapter eight: "You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich." That's right. He wants you and I to have this abundance not rich in possessions and money and stuff, love, joy, peace, righteousness. That's what he's after. And if you're wondering, I, 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 I don't know, I can't do it. Let me give you this last secret. Paul nailed it. Philippians chapter four. He says, hey, I've, I've lived in scarce seasons and I've also had abundant seasons. I know what it is to be in need. That's where many of us are this morning. And I also know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Athletes know this. This is a giving stewardship. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. If you're able, please stand with me as we close in prayer and ask God, for his strength. What a privilege it is, Father, to open up your word and hear what you have to teach us thousands of years later after you have written this. It is amazing how your truth stands um, outside of the limit of, of time. And, and so we pray, Lord, that each of us would receive the message, the prompting that you have laid on our heart. We want to be obedient to you. We thank you that you loved us first. We thank you that you paid a large price for each of us. That you who knew no sin became sin so that in you, Jesus, we might be the righteousness of God. You paid the entrance fee to heaven and to everlasting life. You have wiped slate clean and totally forgiven us. And for that this morning, we say thank you. 
And we wanna respond to that by being generous. Lead us, strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name I pray, amen.